Hi, I'm Sam Baum, a security educator, and this is InfoSec Decoded, a twice-weekly podcast of security news and commentary. Our stories may be outrageous, important, or absurd, but always entertaining. I'm joined by Elizabeth Biddlecombe, consultant and educator, Caitlin Handelman, a security engineer, Irvin Lemus, consultant and trainer, and Alan Wennerson, also a college instructor. All right, we're going. So it looks like Alan's up first. Yes, the big $2.7 billion lawsuit filed by Smartmatic Voting Machines Corporation against Fox News, Janine Pirro, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell is now published and it's a real doozy. If you look at the introduction to the lawsuit on page 10, uh, the first statement is, the earth is round, two plus two equals four, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 election for president and vice president of the United States. And it just goes on from there. Yeah. Um, they're really not pulling any punches in this lawsuit. It sounds like they are, they want to do some damage, financial damage, because they feel very, very wronged. So it's a surprisingly entertaining read for 285 pages. Um, but another really interesting thing about this, this filing that has not really gone mentioned is that towards the top, the first couple of pages, you will see the addresses of the defendants. Yeah. So this is a good piece of OSINT right here. Uh, we have two addresses for Lou Dobbs, two addresses for Maria, uh, Maria Bartiromo and Janine Pirro and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, each of them. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani is doing pretty well. If you look at his uh, estate in Watermill, New York, he's got a pool and uh, rather two habitable structures at least. And yeah, everybody on that list has some very nice real estate, except for Sidney Powell. Looks like uh, her residence is not so good. I mean, it's not a bad building. Don't get me wrong. She's doing okay. <laughs> but I can understand why she was so keen to represent Trump. She needs the money to maintain her lifestyle. Representing Trump is not the way to get any money. He never pays his lawyers. He never No, pays but <laughs> she could probably parlay that into some other huckster scam scheme. You know, the thing about this is there was a time when Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell were greatly respected intellectual people, and they've just gone off into craziness. It's very strange, especially Sidney Powell, who is like too crazy even for Trump. Yeah, yeah. And she was like a respected lawyer just like three years ago. It's like they're putting something in their food or something. Well, you know, some people's fortunes must have taken a turn for the worse, because why else would they do this? Rudy, after all, was getting $20,000 a day, or at least that's what he was billing. But he wasn't getting paid. And also, and Yeah, he probably wasn't getting paid, but at least he was billing that. Well, everything I hear is that Rudy, Rudy's just a hopeless alcoholic, which would explain it. I mean, drugs are usually how you manage to fall so far so fast. Hmm. Well, he's still got these three residences, according to uh, Smartmatic. Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, it's um, I, 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 this lawsuit may well save the nation. You know, the lawsuits and the companies canceling their advertising seems to be the only about the only part of our government that's still working correctly. Yeah, money is the only thing that still talks. Well, that's America. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so the schools. I was hoping some of you could could chime in, like especially Caitlin actually knows something about kids. I, you know, I was thinking that San Francisco is having a big fight over opening the schools. 
And I remember K through 12 as being utterly worthless, miserable. I skipped fourth grade. I just dropped out and didn't go to 11th and 12th grade. So when I hear, we have to get these kids in school, it'll be horrible if they aren't in school. I'm like, man, that was not my experience at all in K through 12. They could have closed K through 12 entirely and my life would have just gotten better. But now they're claiming kids really need school. They're miserable. They're having crying fits. They're taking drugs and suiciding because they can't go to the joy of K through 12. And I've heard other people say later on in life, you'll remember like high school when you were as the greatest time in your life. And I was there thinking, I am not going to feel that way at all. So what is the school actually is good for kids? Do you know, Caitlin? Um, so a lot of people focus on schools as being these institutions for learning and they kind of suck at that. I mean, to be honest, was um, <laughs> there was nothing in the classes worth learning in third, yeah. in third grade is when I started complaining, Hey, this math book has a different number on the front, but all the stuff inside is just the same. What's going on here? Right. Right. Um, uh, however, there are aspects to school. that go beyond learning that are actually really important. Um, like socialization, like that's the school is one of the primary ways, uh, students learn to socialize and, you know, work with people who maybe they don't get along with. Um, etc. Uh, there's also, um, you know, community support. Uh, one of the things that, that schools do that are that is massively important that doesn't not get talked about enough is uh, feed children. Um, for a lot of, of parents from low income, um, uh, uh, from a lot of families with low income uh, parents, uh, schools provide you know nutrition for their for their children, which is really important. So. As, as community centers, um, schools are, are really important. Um, as effective learning tools, I, you know, I, I try my best, but I, I, what I really try to do is um, you know, make sure that the, the kids feel good about themselves and then sort of tie learning into that. Um, but uh, most teachers don't really care what the kids think or feel, so. It's interesting because I've seen uh, accounts like this where, uh, kids want to go back to school and be in the classroom. But I've also seen contrary accounts to this where some kids are doing a lot better uh, working from home. And it's almost as if a one-size-all approach, one-size-fits-all approach isn't best for everyone. Because I think that um, especially some uh, kids who are non-neurotypical or they're dealing with bullying at school. Uh, now they don't have to deal with that and their grades have improved and they're doing much better with the remote learning. So, yeah. you know, I think some kids really do need to be uh, in, in an in-person setting um, and other kids maybe may thrive better outside of that. Yeah, that, and that was me. I think I think I was over on the autistic side. I remember they, I saw articles saying autistic kids say, this is great. I don't yeah. ever want to go back to the awful school. I like the homeschool. And I yeah. would have been that. School was just gangs of like 12 boys getting together to beat me up because yeah. I just didn't fit in. And they were merciless about that. And I was not gaining from this experience, really. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think that, that that's what I was saying too. For I think it's it's been a real godsend for some non-neurotypical kids. Also, kids with uh, ADD and ADHD are doing better because um, uh, some in some, in some cases are doing better because they um, are able to. You know, when you're in the classroom, maybe some of them might actually pay attention better by by being able to like draw or fidget with something while they're listening to the teacher 
but uh, our school system is, is pretty much like, put that down, sit down and stare, stare ahead and pay attention to every word the teacher says, and, and not everyone learns best that way. Well, you know, I wonder if it would be good if they moved to a hybrid model like I have, where some students can connect over Zoom and some people can come face to face and they don't all have to do the same thing. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking, um, you know, because uh, again, it's it's sort of like a one size fits all approach doesn't always always work for everybody. And, and a hybrid approach would, like that would be really nice, I think, for uh some students who you know if they get sick or um they have to be out due to family concerns on the flip side of this one of the problems with having the schools closed is uh, that i think a lot of abuse cases aren't getting reported uh that might otherwise because teachers are mandatory reporters and uh nobody's seeing these kids for months on end so um you know stuff that might be going on at home doesn't doesn't come out and they don't have any recourse. So it's not, there's no easy answers to this. Another thing I've heard from the students is that right now they have a, they, their workload is bigger than mm -hmm. the pandemic. They have more yeah. uh, homework and classwork to do. Yeah, I've heard that as if well. It, if it was in person. I've you know, heard I that think, as well. I, one thing I've heard a lot, which I think is probably true, is over the last couple of decades, K through 12 assigns far more homework than they ever did. And this is really not good. Like mm -hmm. hours of homework every day, which was not really true when I was there. A lot yeah. of it's just busy work too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I had to do is I, um, they, there was, God, there there's all these movements to get the kids to do tests and just study. Uh, but, you know, I took child development. I know how kids, you know, operate. Um, and they do need physical exercise. They need a lot of it. Um, in fact, the, the, the term used um, in, in child development is uh, play is children's work, uh, you know, but, but there's this attitude um, in school where we say, no, we don't want them playing, we want them studying. Uh, so I actually had to make time and like reintroduce, you know, PE to them, even though it's not part of the curriculum, because it's, it's really important for them to be able to move and, and they need to be able to move to learn, which is the, the you know, the, you really can't separate the physical body from the uh yeah no. the brain i mean it's the, the two are completely uh, intertwined with each other when i was a kid they used to punish us or punish bad kids you know punish bad behavior with no resources and i always thought that was the dumbest thing you could possibly do because you've got a hyperactive kid who's acting out and because they need to move around so what do you do Take away their uh, take away their recess. Don't let them run around outside. Make them sit in a chair for an extra hour a day. I mean, these yeah, approaches know. don't make a lot of sense. Sort you know. of like suing your own school district. That seems pretty counterproductive. It seems like an enormous waste of money and time of tax money and time. That yeah, could be better applied elsewhere. And it's like, what do you expect? How, what do you expect to happen? Because we've still screwed up the vaccine distribution so bad that uh, we're still on over 75. Uh, senior citizens aren't getting it. What a, a lot of kids live with their grandparents. Teachers yeah. can't get it. Uh, I mean, it's kind of insane for them to do this when you still aren't getting vaccines out there to people. So, I mean, I would think that would really need to come first 
before we go down this route. Yeah, yeah. But you know what Caitlin said about exercise applies to older people too. I remember um, if you're getting old and you don't want to, and you want your brain to work, they say number one thing you need is physical exercise. I think this applies for a lot of life. And I remember my boss in grad school was like a marathon runner. And he was like a leading physics, uh, you know, researcher. This is true of a lot of people. I mean, I think uh, incorporating more physical exercise into your life is a really good move for even for purely intellectual activities. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad to hear these points because that caught my attention and I thought you people would know about it. <laughs> Uh, so this is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> sometimes the tech salespeople really take it to the next level. Uh, these techniques aren't always so effective, uh, as in this case. Um, no no uh, better way to creep out your uh, sales target than to actively stalk them on the internet. So essentially what happened was this guy <laughs> spun up a VM instance, um, an Ubuntu instance uh, on Azure and um, not too very long later uh, received a LinkedIn direct message from a canonical rep who had tracked him down uh, and he, the guy hadn't even used his corporate email. So this took a little OSINT work to do, tracked him down on LinkedIn in order to solicit him for sales. Yep. So he somehow got his direct phone number. You know, this happened to me two days ago. I was teaching my class over Twitch and people ran out of questions. And I said, okay, if there's no more questions, I'm going to turn it off. So I turned it off and then there was one. And then immediately my phone rang. There was a student who somehow got my home phone number saying, hey, I had a question. So that's fine. But Afterwards, I said, where did he get that number? Anyway, uh, my home yeah, phone number must be readily available on the internet or something, but anyway. What did, what did they tell you when you asked him where they got it? I didn't ask where he got it because no. uh, he was having trouble with English and trouble with Zoom and everything. So we focused on his problem until I solved his problem. But, uh, but it, I don't know where he got my number. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was effective. Yeah, anyway, the point is Azure just hands over your data to Ubuntu like right away. Yeah, and of course you agree to this in the lengthy terms and conditions, but- Which nobody ever know, reads. Nobody ever reads. <laughs> Except it. Alan. Alan seems to actually read things. All right. I found this one interesting. Mm -hmm. One in five Belgian sites are vulnerable. Uh, they should hire us. We'll take care of this. I think if they get a professional pen tester, they're going to find it's a lot more than one in five. I mean, yeah, because this is just what they're finding as a cursory search. Yeah. Outdated technology. They mean one, four in 10 still use unprotected HTTP addresses. I just wonder what he means by vulnerable. Doesn't give you tell you much. But I'm sure a further scan will will bring up more info. And um, yeah, yeah, if they yeah. want to secure, they can just hire us. We'll take care of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> just like our government websites are secure. Yep. In fact, we just got everything hacked twice. <laughs> Two supply chain attacks this week. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. 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 Yeah. Well. All right. <laughs> ah. Yes. Veritas. 
Yes, Project Veritas. Um, so these guys uh, made my um, SHIT list a long time ago uh, when their first stunt, um, what they did is they created this video going after a group called Acorn. Yep. And what Acorn is, is they're a nonprofit organization. They were a nonprofit organization uh, that advocated for homeless um, and you know, vulnerable uh, populations. That's where and, Barack Obama came from, right? Barack Obama was an acorn first. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so the acorn made some enemies on the right wing because one of the things that they try to do is they try to get uh, low-income people uh, voting. Um, now, they don't care who, who they vote for, but you know they, they want them you know, voting, and most people who are low-income vote for a Democrat. Um, so what, what this group did, what Project Veritas did, is they made this highly doctored video that made it look like um, Acorn was doing some shady stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, in, the, in the wake of the outrage, uh, you know, Congress cut off funding, um, Acorn got completely shut down. To my knowledge, they're still shut down and, and no longer in operation. Um, and then it turned out that, oh yeah, the, the video that they put out was highly doctored. Uh, it was pretty much fake news. Uh, no, the Acorn did absolutely nothing wrong, but they just got shut down anyway um, because of this Project Veritas group. And, and they're sort of the progenitors of the whole fake news you know, ecosystem that we have the, in the past four years where yeah. people kind of just want their own news, their own truth. And it's very funny that, that they call themselves Project Veritas. You know, at the beginning, I thought, oh, well, that's ironic, you know, because, you know, Veritas meaning, you know, truth. You know they're they're the opposite of that they're liars. Um, but but what they're what they were actually doing is they were setting up the system where people can just get the facts that they want, the facts that are convenient for them. And they were they were the the ones you know on the forefront of this creating you know real fake you know narratives. And um, so what happened recently is that uh, Twitter suspended their account. Thank God. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't for spreading lies. Uh, it was for harassing a um, a Facebook employee. Um, so essentially they, they, they got suspended for harassment, um, but it was a long time company. And, and this isn't the first time they, they did something shady. Uh, I remember one time, I mean, it's lucky they're not in jail because they tried tapping senators' phones. Um, these, the, this group is just no good. Um, and I'm they just glad that phones? They, they, yeah, they tried to tap, they, they pretended to be, uh, service workers. They went into, I forget which congressperson, obviously it was a Democrat. Uh, they went into their office and like tried to, to tap the phones. And yeah, yeah. yeah, that is like beyond like ridiculously illegal. Somehow they're not in jail still, um, despite attempting this. Uh, but uh, yeah, they finally got kicked off Twitter. So, oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter seems to be uh, taking some desirable political actions lately yeah facebook is reliably always at the end of the line in getting rid of the worst people yeah well like i said um th these people are have just you know facts mean something and i'm and i would i would like to live in a world you know and in a country where where we where we respect facts and we have a shared understanding of, of what is true and what is not true so it sounds, sounds like good. it's from a book. What's that? Sounds like a fantasy book. It does. You know, it never was that way. It's just before this, we had a lot more religion, which is the other kind of fake news. But anyway, 
And the thing that got me is how many of my friends in California are anti-vaxxers, which makes me think that stupid is just like toothpaste. You can squeeze it to the other end of the tube, but the total percentage of stupidity always seems to stay the same. The liberals have invented their own stupid fake news. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Um, there's there's a lot of, of, of fake news on, on the left and the right, um, and it both needs to be you know, squashed. And in particular, yeah, anti-vaccination is not only fake news, it's extremely dangerous. And I know that Dang. Twitter is going after that as well. Um, when I was- Many anti-vaxxers are on, like there's the Kennedy guy, one mm -hmm. of the, and there's, and, and there, Bill Maher apparently is an anti-vaxxer, somebody told me. And I can't believe you can go on TV and tell people not to take vaccination and not get sued. I mean, people die for that. How can that be legal? Uh, what, what really got me is that a lot of people in the child development uh, sphere were anti-vaxxers. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. That's probably <laughs> do, because do they, not. Believe, they well, believe that one about vaccines and autism, right? That was the big one. Yeah, they, they believe, yeah. they absolutely believe, you know, like if, if it's one thing, if you want to believe in crystal healing or whatever, that's fine. Yeah. But if you're working with children and you don't believe in vaccinations, oh my gosh, no, get out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm certainly not defending that position, but I will say that this is one problem that you come up with when you have a generations of people that have dealt with a government that's lied to people for years on end. When you continue to lie to people over and over again, it gives stuff like this credence or Pizzagate, you know, people are more prone, I feel like people are more prone to believe it having been lied to just repeatedly. And it seems like even more so over the past uh, decade or two. You know, this is one thing I was thinking about the San Francisco teachers. The, and I listened to like Morning Joe and he's like, hey, the, the government scientists said teachers can go right back and teach K through 12 without getting vaccinated and they'll be fine. So why don't they just immediately do that? And I'm like, uh, wait a minute. You think they're gonna believe what the government says about this issue now for some reason? Why in the world? <laughs> I kind of side with the teachers saying, yeah, uh, because the government says I don't need to be vaccinated. I'm not really convinced that's true. <laughs> Anyway. Four eighty six, more old hardware. Yeah, so this was an interesting tweet stream from Twitter personality Foon Touring, who does a lot of retro computing, very interesting retro computing stuff. Oh. And he's referencing a post by one Igor Bogdanov, who talks about the Intel embedded uh, microcontroller, graphics microcontroller, it turns out it's just an embedded uh, Pentium i486 core inside of more modern CPUs. So this is reminiscent of the whole, don't know if we should call it a debacle, the um, Intel um, uh, uh, management engine uh, uh, which was a few years ago revealed to be running off of an embedded uh, Pentium core that um, was using the Minix OS and uh, also allowed for remote access, out of band communication, remote access. So this is not as consequential as that, but as Foon summarizes neatly here, this embedded graphics controller is responsible for uh, power management and it's a graphics scheduler. Um, and it is in a highly privileged position 
inside of the CPU and it can run code separately from the CPU. It's not nearly as consequential in terms of security as the, um, the, the issue with the management engine earlier, but it's still possible for there to be some exploits if say a national security uh, intelligence organization is able to get uh, Intel signing keys and to sideload some firmware into that because since it's at such a low level, you know, it's like ring negative three, then um, an attacker could run whatever code, arbitrary code they want on uh, one of these Intel processors and no one would ever be the wiser really just because it is at such a low level. So this Igor Bogdanov fellow promises to post more on this, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what his analysis of it is. Um, and, and the reason why this is so consequential too is that as far as I know, no one has publicly said that this is actually a, an I-486 embedded core in Intel CPUs. This is the first I've heard of it. Now this, this graphics microcontroller has been around for a number of generations in Intel, so that, that's nothing new. But uh, the fact that it's actually an I-46 that's embedded, that is something of uh, a new piece of information. So it'd be interesting to see what comes out of this. It also goes to show that old processor cores never die. They just get embedded into the newer ones. Yeah, yeah. And then this whole thing of hardware hacking and firmware viruses and stuff is pretty exciting. There's yeah. a lot of computing devices all through that could be subject to these exotic attacks. Yeah, and this is definitely a very exotic attack because, uh, again, the, the code is verified before, cryptographically verified before it, it's, it's loaded. So you would need a very, very, it's a very, very low level attack and you would need uh, Intel's keys in order to do it, but still. Well, it makes me, you know, this seems like it's totally asking for hardware Trojans where you have a targeted attack, like the NSA could poison your gadget before you get it delivered to you. Absolutely. in this way and you would never be able to find that right yeah yeah and since um, intel's chips by and large are not manufactured in the u.s you know there are supply chain concerns yeah yeah all right yeah so the lincoln project now i like rick wilson i think it helped keep me sane through the trump years there's rick wilson on the podcast he's like hilarious to listen to and he's the only guy in the Lincoln Project I ever hear much from. But the rest of the Lincoln Project seems to be just totally melting down. And in retrospect, this is pretty obvious because they were all the primary messaging political operatives for Republican candidates over the last several decades. So they already were helping the worst people on earth get in to get rid of abortion rights and uh, end funding for schools and support anti-science and anti-environmental initiatives for decades. And then Trump is so awful, they formed a group of people that are Republican leaders that hate Trump. And now, of course, now that Trump is gone, they can't unite against the common enemy. And they're all fighting over the money, betraying each other, getting caught doing sexual abuse, covering that up and demanding higher pay. It's, you know, it's falling apart the way it would. I was thinking about this. It's you the only thing that united them was they were the worst people on earth that found somebody even worse to all hate for a while. So anyway, it's, uh, I don't think, I think the point is they should have just disbanded it after the election because there really is nothing together. They're not going to form a new party. 
They're not going to form a new Republican Party. Looks like that's not going to happen at all. But anyway, they're sort of spectacularly melting down. And the thing that caught my attention yesterday is they took somebody's private messages who just quit the group, who was talking to a reporter about to give like the inside dirt to the New York Times to make yet another expose article about it. And then they got a screenshot of that person's private messages and tweeted it. And then Maggie Haberman said, did you get permission from somebody to post their private messages like that. And then they took it down and I've got it on my desktop. I got the screenshot. So, you know, it's there. Uh, the whole thing is falling apart, stabbing each other in the back. Anyway, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the Republican party. It looks like it's still going to be the party of Trump. It looks like all these off offshoots like Republican voters against Trump and Lincoln project and stuff are just withering and dying. And the Republican party is going to just coast ahead with Trump or Trump's kids or something. Not what I expected. I expected some new, different kind of party to emerge from this. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, this is just a follow-up on, uh, hopefully everybody's heard about the story where a water treatment plant um, got hit uh, in Florida um where essentially the hackers got in uh and started um immediately increasing the amount of lye in the water supply which is meant to um regulate the acidity in the water uh but i mean this happened really quick and it turns out that uh <laughs> Uh, it's very likely that there was an insider involved in this, and also they were using TeamViewer with one shared login, um, which is pretty sad, uh, which is how the attackers were able to gain access to the systems. I mean, come on, people. Like, I know it's hard to secure SCADA systems. Like, that's understandable if there's issues there. You can't be on top of everything all the time, but... Shared team viewer logins, come on. Well, you know, that wouldn't pass any compliance standard at all. So, I mean, if they just met any of the standard security compliances, they wouldn't be making stupid mistakes at that level. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I remember this reminds me of like the military, like years ago, they audited their systems and says, okay, we finally decided on compliance standards and we tested and we're 98% out of compliance. So, you know, we decided what you should do, but that's a whole different thing than funding and training people until they can actually do it. Well, and one of the crazy things that stood out to me in this story was that um, the sheriff had said that the plant had quit using Team Viewer six months ago, but they still left it installed. Yeah. Well, that happens a lot because you really can't get the message to everybody. I remember um, when San Francisco had the road network administrator that locked everybody out of the system he told his, his bosses were aware that he was unstable. So years before they said, we're going to have a team of three network administrators and you're all going to work together. And he bullied the other two into not having any access, letting him do everything and not telling anybody. So the bosses thought there were backup administrators and there weren't. And this is what happens in dysfunctional authority systems. You don't tell the boss the dirty secrets and they don't even know what's going on. Right. And if you're really lucky, you can hide it from auditors if you ever do get audited, too. Um, and I mean, the, the, other, the other things here show us that, that there were lots of issues, like they were running Windows 7. And it's funny because I'll uh, have students 
uh, attack a Windows 7 machine. They're like, this is old. Why would we be doing this? This is old and outdated. And I'm like, you would be surprised. And then I have one guy in the class pipe up and say, well, you know, it's really true because we, we're still on Windows 7 at my job and the boss won't listen to me when I tell him this is a bad idea. I remember <laughs> I went to New Zealand. Well, now you can demonstrate. Yeah, I went to New Zealand and I was getting an airline ticket and it was being delivered to me from a Windows NT 3.51 machine. And I'm thinking, wow, if my hacking students come here, they're going to have a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's out there. I know I know in Eastern Europe and stuff, they're still using Windows 95 and Windows 98. Mm -hmm. These things never go away. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, so I got this one. Yep. Speaking of old systems being out and about and new CVEs available for them, here's another one that affects TCP IP for Windows 7 and up. It uh, looks like it can be uh, DOS. And remote code execution, but not easily. Right, not easily. Uh, but there are, uh, there's supposed to be patches for this. Yep, and it looks like, uh... Yep, more of these complicated exotic uh, IP attacks. Yep, 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 yep. There are all these extra stupid things like source routing and fragments in, and head headers these packets that you almost never use. And of course, the code isn't much good. Well, that and the newer OS have ways to get around that. And the old ones, well, we just left them behind. But yeah. just like we just said, uh, we're still using those OSs. So they're going to be vulnerable to this stuff. Yep. So here we have an article on how the how China performs its um, uh, supply chain attacks on the U.S. Um, in particular, it was looking. At, this article looks at Super Microcomputer, which is a hardware manufacturer based in San Jose, California. So if you think you're safe by getting a computer from an American company, that's not the case at all. Um, China has been able to infiltrate. Um, super microcomputer and insert code uh, into their chips. This is what the article says, <laughs> into their chips, which essentially causes the computers to call back to China and, and log data about what the user was doing and um, you know, send data, you know, exfiltrate data back to, back to China. Um, and not only was this done with uh, super micro, um, uh, apparently there, there has been issues with China doing the same sort of attack with Lenovo computers. And Lenovo is really big in business and the military. Um, and so there were people in who were deployed using Lenovo machines. And those Lenovo machines had a, essentially Chinese code uh, spying on the users and then sending the data back to China. And although this article does not go into super detail, um, it looks like, at least from what I can see from the uh, from what they're what they're trying to do, um, essentially what China did is is very similar to the Solar Winds hack, where they inserted their own code into the BIOS. Is what it looks like. Um, and so what they did is they so the way of, for people at home that aren't familiar with what a BIOS is, the BIOS is the the boot up start sequence code that that runs on all your computers. And what it does is it it loads code into like this this table. There's like a table of of memory values. 
for things like reading from the hard drive, you know, getting input from the keyboard, uh, stuff like that. Um, these are called software interrupts. Anyway, uh, so when you turn on your computer, um, the, the BIOS essentially writes the code necessary to do that, uh, you know, in, into memory uh, to do these basic functions that the operating system can then tie into. And you can have a working system, even if the hardware is slightly different uh, from another system. Um, and in fact, really old viruses uh, used to do this a lot. Like if you had like uh, an MS-DOS machine, one of the ways that you could hide your, your malicious code is to put it, put your code um, into the same location of memory as, as the BIOS functions. Whenever you would like read from the keyboard or write to the screen, uh, the malware would run. And those old tricks um, are, are apparently heavily used by China. Um, and as one of their sort of telltale signs that China was involved. Um, in their supply chain attacks. Well, you know, this really catches my attention because I quit citing Bloomberg as a news source entirely over this article, which came out in October 2018, when they falsely claimed that there was extra chips being added to things from Apple and Amazon, and those companies had to come out and deny it and Bloomberg had to admit that they really didn't believe it was true and that they apparently had been fooled by a counterintelligent operation in Virginia. And then they said they were going to have an internal investigation at Bloomberg and explain what really happened. And they never did it. So they published a huge article about this, which hit like a bomb in the security community and they were totally unable to back any of it up. So my first reaction is this is probably just more complete fake lies from Bloomberg. Or maybe maybe there's some real truth, but I'm very skeptical of anything on this topic from Bloomberg. They've been absolutely wrong before and refused to take responsibility for it. So I regard them as like less reliable than Fox News. Um, so we'll see. I need to see some other news report verify any of this before I'd believe anything on this topic from Bloomberg. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm looking at... Um... I'm just doing a Google search, and I, and I do see references to the Supermicro uh, hack, at least, from a few different sites. Uh, nothing yeah, yeah. saying that it's you know. So it, it does. It does. This does look le legit. That's good. It's interesting if it's legit. Just they've absolutely completely lied about this before and been totally disgraced and re and refused to ever clean it up. They don't even issue retractions or anything. It's it's amazing that they're still in business, as far as I can tell. I have not read this article myself, but uh, like you, Sam, I, I have to say I'm very skeptical due to the the source. Um, although, yeah, although it is slightly more plausible in that at least they're not claiming that there's some tiny little microprocessor embedded in the fiberglass substrate of the motherboard or something ridiculous like that. It's possible uh, that there really was some security problem that they got badly wrong. Yeah, which seems to be their current story. Yeah, yeah. That's the um, problem when you lie. Then even when you come clean and tell the truth, people still don't want to hear it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, they don't seem to have much credibility. Although, having said all of that, um, there is a really good argument for having open firmware. And there, there is a, at least a nascent movement towards uh, more companies supporting open firmware. Uh, yeah. including some laptop manufacturers so on the consumer end. Now there are laptop manufacturers that use open firmware. And so that's, that's a really good uh, development. And hopefully this will trickle down to the enterprise server market too. And if this accomplishes that, 
this provides the impetus for that. That can only be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, it is, it is not good that we use Chinese chips in everything. That is a weakness. Okay, so there is a cottage industry right now in journalist circles of predicting the demise of San Francisco and the Bay Area and how there's the, a tech exodus and everybody's moving to Idaho, which I don't know anybody's moved to Idaho, but anyway, be that as it may, uh, this um, VC firm called uh, Initialized, which I had not heard of, but apparently they've been uh, behind some pretty big players like Instacart and Cruise. They've been surveying all their startups annually and seeing um, you know, what, what their plans are and also looking at where they're, they're located. And it looks like, according to this at least, uh, the peak of Silicon Valley and San Francisco Bay Area was in 2014 and it's been downhill ever since. More and more of the startups are uh, now located outside of the Bay Area, mostly due to cost. And um, this trend is only accelerating because of the pandemic. And it sounds like not only are there going to be many of these startups located outside of the Bay Area, but they're going to a completely different office model too. So rather than having what they call a primary office model where everybody goes into a single office, instead, there are a number of, uh, there are multiple uh, offices around the country or even around the world, the hub and spoke model, which people do go to at least occasionally, or these startups are entirely decentralized. And so the breakdown is 37.3 for hub and spoke, 36.1 for fully decentralized and only 26.5 for primary office. So this does look like maybe there, there's a real trend here in terms of uh, um, uh, the, the modern uh, workplace for startups, at least. And although 41.6 of their startups are still in the Bay Area, that's a much smaller share today than it was uh, just a few years ago. And uh, it, looking at 2021, 42.1 uh, of their startups are distributed or remote, and only 28.4 are San Francisco Bay Area. So. Yeah, but, but look at comparing to other cities. I mean, San Francisco Bay Area is still by far the leader as far as having a physical location at all. Yes, yes, absolutely. But San Francisco is definitely, the Bay Area is definitely losing its leadership position. If you want to regard distributed as an alternative. Yeah. Yes. But as far as any physical location, it's still the leader. Right. If you're going to have a physical location anywhere, it's still going to be in the Bay Area. But it is not as essential to a startup's identity and success anymore, apparently. Well, you know, we've been predicting that for like 30 years that commuting <laughs> yes. everybody will just work from home. I'm glad we're finally getting around to it. Yes. But it's also just, just too expensive. So this is another good reason for startups to, to locate elsewhere. Of course, the, the major incumbents are going to stick around, but even they might uh, start to distribute their operations a little bit more in the future. Yeah, well, you know, I think one thing I noticed over like the last five years is that you're hardly ever actually in the office anyway. You're always on a plane flying somewhere. So, you know, companies uh, don't really have a fixed physical location the way they used to. Right, right. But you still need, I think, I think what really goes on at the home office is all this smooching with big shots to get money and stuff. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the, the different roles. Certain roles, of course, they need to be at a single location, but all the other roles, you don't really need that anymore. So why make those people continue to come into the office? Yeah, I remember when I started working for a military contractor, I said, am I going to have to like get a shoot? And I said, hell no, we don't have any officers in California. You're all working from home. And I said, oh, good. <laughs> all right. So Elon Musk is promoting cryptocurrencies and he's promoting Bitcoin and Doge. And now there are some whale accounts in Dogecoin that own vast amount of Dogecoin and never do anything and nobody knows who they are. And one of them has begun sending secret messages to Elon Musk. Now, I've heard about this before. If you look at the blockchain, people send secret messages on the blockchain. And so this one, they posted Elon Musk's birthday and then they did something just like in my crypto class. I have challenges like this. They made transactions which when turned into decimal are eight bit binary numbers, which turn into ASCII and spell out a message to Elon Musk. Reading from the bottom, it's like, is it you, Elon? Question mark. So a lot of people have theories that these gigantic doge counts are really owned by Elon or something. But anyway, I think it is Elon Musk seems to be single handedly the reason why cryptocurrencies are going to be taken seriously. I mean, if, if Tesla is heavily invested in crypto, which they now are, then they're holding up crypto. That's the first big player that actually gives it some significance. And now immediately, I think Visa and MasterCard declared they're going to move into crypto. So it's going to become real money. And uh, I'm going to have to like stop hating it so much if this goes on any further. Um, but, and then now people are beginning to revive the other one, which is that the energy cost of Bitcoin is like 10,000 times more than the energy cost of any other currency. So it really is going to be an incredible bad thing for air pollution and global warming and just incredible. It's an incredibly wasteful product compared to centralized currency. So it's actually a very bad thing for the planet for people to move into it. But it's a libertarian religious movement. People are convinced that somehow it's going to save the world because no government is controlling it. Instead, it's using incredible amounts of computing power to replace the trust you would have had in a government. So anyway, it looks like uh, crypto is going to increase and become more important and possibly even more stable. <laughs> anyway. So I had to go for the story primarily because of this uh, programmer's handle because uh, she chose crash override and, you know. Showing very, very chilling security camera footage earlier uh, during the Pardon course me, of the last me. two. Pardon me, that's me. There, I found it. Okay. Donk NB, huh? They've got, yeah, they've got to stop with the autoplays. I thought we, we learned that people don't like this, but um, yep. sites still insist on implementing it. Yes, crash override. Uh, what a good handle to use. Uh, just a nod to one of the best movies of all time. Um, but I thought this was interesting too in that she uh, had a feeling that uh, a lot of these videos that were going around on Parlor at the time um, of the Capitol riot were um, gonna come in handy later. So she grabbed them all before Parler got booted off AWS and turns out they were handy because they're being used as evidence now. Yeah. 
it reminds me of after Trump won and he started erasing all the climate data off the climate website, everybody like in Canada was backing that stuff up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, that's a good example. Really good example of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just sort of an interesting little story. Yeah, yeah. That was a big one. I remember people were posting on Twitter, everybody like start downloading everything from here to get a copy before it vanishes. Anyway. Tiny check. This is pretty interesting stuff. So I I have now the pieces to make tiny check, um, but I haven't done it yet. There are three um, I think it's a I think they're CVEs for tiny check. Is the tiny check hardware or software? It's uh, both. You take a Raspberry Pi, you can put uh, a phone you know, to see if, if it's getting. Uh, we've talked about it before. So it's like a pie hole. Kind of like a pie hole, but to see if the phone has been um, compromised and is sending out info that it shouldn't. Oh, you know, I think I might want this because there was the article a couple of weeks ago about the guy that um, used an online service to check all the iOS apps to see if they're sending data back home. And he needed something like this. This might come in, this might be. Uh, come into play and there's so there's three things that need to get fixed that this researcher found um, of course default creds yep things that for us that we would change but people aren't realizing uh, there's an ssrf uh, possibility mm -hmm. and command injection yeah so i mean on one in, on one hand the uh, it's a pretty cool product. On the other hand, it's not perfect. I'm glad that they disclosed it to the team. And there are CVEs for it. I'm hoping that more things can be found and patched to make this device better, because I think it will be quite useful uh, to people who think that their phones have been tapped. Yeah, and it would make a fun project for students to watch all the extra data flying out of their phone apps, because apparently there is a ton of data even going out of the apps that aren't supposed to be sending it out. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hangover free alcohol. This is from Star Trek, Synthahol. Right. Well, you know, before I get onto this, I want to make a retraction. Um, yeah. I don't find that uh, previous article um, in any other source. Um, I trusted Bloomberg. Uh, apparently, uh -huh. that was a mistake. <laughs> nope. um, so okay, never mind then. Well, well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there might be some truth in it. It's just Bloomberg has done this before. Yes. Um, well, apparently either either they, they know something and are really on top of something that the rest of us don't know, or um, or they're doubling down on a, on a lie. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but well, I, I fully retract. I retract my last story uh, doing a bit more research into the... Um, yeah, usually, usually when I look at articles, I look at the source. And Bloomberg is a source I know, and I just kind of assumed, oh, these people probably are not going to print lies, but apparently they're a the lot only of, people. A lot of people trust them. You know, what yeah. I suspect is they're doing it because it's anti-China propaganda. And, you know, ever since around the time Trump got in, some hard part of the American government wants us to hate China and to stop hating Russia. For some reason, I don't really know. Right. But it's like... Yeah, anyway. Anyway, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I apologize to the audience. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not jumping to say you're wrong. There might no, 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 yeah. no. But but here's the thing. We, we were talking about um, about the truth and why the truth yeah. matters, right? And well, and I I want to make a statement here. You know, I was misled. Okay. You know, and 
Well, we um, see, you know, what's, I'm sure that all the rival news agencies are going to gleefully jump on this like crabs on the beach saying, oh boy, a chance to tear Bloomberg to shreds. So we'll see exposés <laughs> anyway. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, once again, you know, let's just be honest, you know, get the facts, yep. um, you know, if we're misled, let's retract and move on. All right. Anyway, hey, so. Um, Caitlin, but, I, got a, I got a question for you. Yes. Yeah. Are you a cat? I am not a cat. Uh, I'm a person. I don't know how this filter got on my system. It's <laughs> uh, okay. yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn off my uh, my my daughter was uh, playing around on the machine. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a news reporter. Let's just go on. I'm I'm, I'm not a cat. Uh, so how I felt after been drinking a hangover free alcohol. So. Yeah, this is like Cynthia Hall from Star Trek. Uh, I'm not a big drinker myself. I don't think I've ever been hungover in my entire life. But um, you're not missing anything. Let me tell yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I hear it's not pleasant. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so now there there are people con uh, concocting um, essentially yeah Cynthia Hall, where you can get drunk, you can have your alcohol, but you're not going to have the same hangover effects. And what actually the way this came about apparently was that the the person who invented this was actually trying to get rid of the red face you get when you drink alcohol which has to do with the fact that you can't produce enough enzymes to to break down the the alcohol um so essentially what this person did is they infused their alcoholic drinks with extra um oxidants uh to you know help break down the alcohol and make sure your face doesn't get all, all red um but then as a side effect they noticed that there's no hangover so you, you, you totally get drunk, you totally, you know, get, you know, all the effects of alcohol. Uh, but apparently, yeah, you, you do not get hungover uh, after drinking, which I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, if this is just going to encourage drinking to excess or, or not. But, um, but it's out there now. We now have, have honest to goodness, synthahol. Wow. Alcohol is still ethyl alcohol, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it just contains additional ingredients these antioxidants yeah well yeah. you know um my lawyer friend talks about this he says he has a bottle of whiskey right at the desk and he drinks and then he takes special vitamins to help cancel out the consequences of all the drinking <laughs> so there are people with these hangover cures we'll see what comes of it mm -hmm. i hear on the podcast there there's something called like smart water or uh, smart hydration or something a packet, yeah. it sounds sort of like Gatorade. Some packet there, they claim that uh, a small cup of water with this packet dissolved in it is like better than lots of water you might drink. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that has been sort of the, the home cure for years now is to stay hydrated. Liquid IV, that's what they call yeah. it. And they yeah. say that this will cure your hangover. I have no I idea. Was, I always found just a one-to-one, -one, like if you have one glass of water with every alcoholic drink you have and that uh has always worked for me or you know you stop drinking when you hit your limit yeah well that that may have something to do with it too <laughs> you know just saying yeah well i don't know but uh, anyway it's a good thing to know <laughs> this is in fact what ended uh, san francisco b-sides was violet blue wanted to give a talk about harm reduction about drugs, like what to take with your drugs to make them less harmful and uh, which drugs to take to go have sex. And a bunch of people freaked out and protested 
and then they canceled the talk and then they said you censored violet blue and then they just canceled the whole conference for a while saying oh this is horrible everybody hates me now when and, was that uh, like about five years ago the guy running uh san francisco b-sides got such blowback from uh being accused of censoring violet blue that he just quit and there like wasn't a b-side for a while and then a new team took over oh, I see. Huh. it was like one of the early you know cancellations and I kind of knew the guy. He wasn't a bad guy, but he just couldn't figure out what to do because she wanted to give her talk. And then another feminist group complained and said, you can't let her give that talk. And he's like, oh, these people say you shouldn't give the talk. And she said, fine, you're censoring me. And then they said, in retrospect, he should have let her give the talk and then let those other people complain about it. But anyway, that's why uh, it was the beginning of a lot of trouble. All the security conferences have had over these uh, political correctness and canceling things. People come in to complain that they're being abused and it's very hard to make the right move. And if you do anything wrong, then, then you get canceled. Anyway. All right. Well, I think I'll stop the recording. Any more comments? I am not a cat. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. You look kind of like one. Yes. And I, I assure you, I'm, I'm not a cat either. So. There's a lot of that going around. <laughs>